prank. Yes. You know I'm not a big YouTube user. I only use YouTube to watch ASMR videos of French women in period dresses, brushing hair and rustling paper. But it's come to my attention that there's a whole world on YouTube of motivational speeches. The sort of speeches that suggest you've endured terrible pain, but you're now on the way up. Or alternatively, they kind of berate you into not giving up. You know what I mean? Oh yes, I've listened to them. You have? I have. When I went through my marriage breakup, and you get quite low. And yeah, I listened to a lot of these ones. What gave you the idea? I don't know. I think you just go down the rabbit hole of trying to feel better. I mean, you just want something to distract your mind from, you know, if you're ruminating about something. You want a guy in your ears going, you're better than this. Yeah, but they start off slower than that. It's like, okay, you need to get out of bed. You need to get moving. Why is he Tony Montana? No, he's not Tony Montana, but they do. They start off slow and there's no music. You need to get out of bed. I got out of bed. No, but they start off like just some guy going, you know, you need to get motivated. And this music comes in. By the end of it, yeah, maybe the 10, 15 minutes. You, know, you are the greatest. You can do this. You can get out of it. It's not about anything in particular. Like you can apply it to whatever you want it to apply it to. Yeah. I happen to apply it to a marriage breakup. Were you like slapping your face in the mirror? No, yes. I was just working and I just ended up ruminating about it as you do with anything that, that's bothering you. So it, it, one, it's a distraction, but two, it's also, yeah, fuck. Yeah, I can. I, I'm gonna just keep going, and I'm gonna fucking go and do my sport and go and do all the right things, which you know you need to do, but you need that kind of kick in the ass to do it. So, who were you listening to? I mean, Denzel Washington was one of them, but you don't even know who these people are. You just literally just click on the next one, and they just keep building it, and it, it just shifts you into a yeah, fuck it. Like I'm gonna do me, and I'm gonna do what I need to do. That's so weird because I've had the opposite experience. It makes me wonder if it's a gendered thing because most of these videos I've seen are by men and very manly men. Whereas I once went to see a hypnotist, hypnotherapist, to help me stop drinking, and he gave me as part of the therapy, you know, something to listen to every night, and it was positive reinforcement. And I remember walking through the streets of Collingwood, listening to it in my earphones, sobbing, because I, I didn't believe it. Like, Everything felt so hopeless at that point. Maybe a rousing voice like Denzel's would have been better, but this was just a kind of reassuring voice. I just thought, I don't believe this. It's going to take more than this, mate. So you needed the girl with the hairbrush, yes. brushing your hair again. <laughs> I love that that's, that's worked for you. So anyway... What I want to talk about this episode is motivational videos and recordings. Like most people, if I go to the gym, I'm going to have some kind of pumping soundtrack. It's usually got someone screaming, work! But that's about it for me. I don't have any kind of dialogue. So for this show, I found some people who absolutely swear by motivational speeches and also someone who's totally sworn off it. And we're going to look at positive self-talk more generally. So to start off with that, I've hooked us up with ultra runner Luke Tybersky. You're listening to Spirit Levels. It's the podcast that pressure tests the wellness industry. I'm actor filmmaker Frank McGree, and every Tuesday with my partner, journalist Jenny Valentish, we'll immerse ourselves in wellness practices from the pseudo to the sensible, and we'll thrash out the benefits. For as long as Luke Tybersky can remember, he's wanted to win. 
He grew up in Bathurst, an Australian town known for its motorsport races, and his family excelled at a whole range of sports. If they had a motto, Luke says it would have been, never, ever give up. As it is, on Luke's bicep, there's a tattoo saying Fortis, which is Latin for strength. He showed me when we first met in a London cafe, when I interviewed him for my book. He was struggling to stretch his improbably long legs out in our booth. We were there to discuss his horrible feats of endurance, which have been immortalised in a documentary, The Ultimate Triathlon, and his memoir, Chasing Extreme. The former depicts a one-man, and nightmare of Luke's own design. It took him from Morocco to Monaco in 12 days, and in order to cover the 2,000 kilometres, the average day saw him clocking up 322 kilometres on the bike and running a double marathon. Luke wound up running on crutches, and he was only able to mount his bike with the aid of his support team. Actually, Luke's whole race history oozes suffering. His toes were rubbed raw in the Marathon de Sable sand. Wait, 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 let's try that again. Marathon de Sable. Marathon de Sable. Good. An intestinal parasite plagued him during the Everest Ultra. He was mistaken for a shuffling beggar in a town on the ultimate triathlon course, and his tongue swelled to twice its size from a five-hour salty swim across the Gibraltar Strait. Luke calls it suffering as salvation, and that is a whole other episode. But as you might imagine, he's got a lot of thoughts about how to motivate himself and also how to motivate you because he's a coach, a running and mental performance coach. Every endurance athlete has their tricks for dealing with pain, fatigue and plummeting spirits. Luke had told me about two methods in particular. The first is his you're the best pep talk, which he's employed since his days as a promising young soccer star, which were thwarted by inoperable injuries. It's the Joe Esposito power ballad, which you've probably heard in the Karate Kids. We can't afford the clip, but it goes, you're the best around. Nothing's ever gonna keep you down. Then he tell his reflection that he was the best tackler, the best passer, and about to be man of the match. His second technique was envisaging a little man inside his head whose job it is to get through extreme ordeals. I don't know what this man looks like, I'm going to have to ask him, but I do remember him saying, this guy is entirely independent of Luke, detached from Luke's negative thoughts and emotions. But enough preamble, let's hear from Luke himself. So Luke, back when you were a footballer, you developed a routine early on where you would use that song, You're the Best, from the Karate Kids. Yeah, I, I used to sing it out loud, actually, um, for, for some of the time. And, and I just remembered that there were times when, you know, we're talking early teenage years where I knew I, I wanted to be a professional athlete, but I also knew there was a very, very, very small chance of that actually happening. So I knew that I had to do things that not everyone was willing to do. And singing that song, it was just a case of like, if I believed I was the best, then I have to do what was needed to be the best. And that was to get out and train, to go out and train more after school, to get up early before I went to school and do extra training. So it was really a source of motivation to do what I believed others weren't willing to do in order for me to have a chance of being successful at achieving my overall goal of being a professional soccer player. And did you know to do that or you heard it have been a technique or did you just make it up yourself? At the time, 
I hadn't been taught that. It was it was a few years later that I actually got taught that when I was playing for the New South Wales state team and we got exposed to a sports psychologist. But when I started doing this, it was probably because I was allowed to go into the changing rooms of my dad's rugby league team that he played for. And they would be sort of like motivating each other before the games, you know, like go and knock their heads off or whatever it was that they'd say, you know, grown men playing, you know, low-level rugby league in the country. I'm guessing and I was exposed to that and it was probably a combination of I saw that with my dad's sporting career and also I was exposed to that in the movies as well. Do you have a version of that that you do these days when you're training? I think my version of that is I ask myself, why do I want to do this? And for me, there is no right or wrong answer. It's just, is the answer strong enough to get you off the couch? So if it's a big challenge, say doing a 100-mile running race that I've done before in the past, it's a Sunday morning, I live here in the UK, it's pouring with rain most of the time, and I've got a four-hour run planned on my training calendar. And I'm sitting there looking at the rain going, I don't want to do this. So I don't start singing theme tune songs from the Karate Kid, You're the Best. I will sit and look at the rain and go, well, why, why do I want to do this run? Why do I choose to do this run? And I go through all the reasons why I want to achieve that 100-mile race. And because I've already done that previously, I know what the answers are. That's strong enough to get me out the door to get wet while I'm putting one foot in front of the other. I'm going to add a phrase that was that's been said many many times. Um, Nietzsche is is labelled onto this phrase. It's he who has a why can overcome like any sort of adversity. And I think knowing why you want to do something is really important. You don't have just to have one. So having like the superficial level why um, to have sort of a more of a structured why, but then have a deep rooted why is really going to be helpful and give you clarity as to why you're willing to spend your time, effort, energy and money on pursuing something that you're looking to do. So when you say multiple whys, are these like a hierarchy of whys? It's called the why tree. You've got leaves on the tree, you've got the branches of the tree in the trunk and then the roots underneath. So I call the leaves the, the superficial whys. And I mean superficial in the very sense of on the surface, right? So for the tree to flourish, it needs the leaves, right? So they're important. However, when it gets really windy and the seasons change, they fall off, they get blown off, that's fine. But the tree needs them. So we need those superficial whys. Maybe you want to apply for a job. Maybe a superficial why is because it's more money than you make now. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's a superficial why. So then we go down to the, the structural wise, the branch wise. So why do you want to make more money? And then you'll go down to that next level, the trunk, the structure. You're like, well, if I can make more money, then I can put that extension on my house. Cool. Okay. Now, but most people will stop there and go, yep, that's why I want to get this new job to make more money, to increase the value of my house so I can put that extension on there. Cool. But then you've got to ask yourself again, why do I want to do that? And for this random example, it might be, well, if I can increase the value of this house, that could be a really good legacy for my kids and really give them a step up in their life when I pass it on to them. Okay, the reason why you want to apply for that job is to have a better quality of life and 
to give your children some sort of financial support when they get older. So the reason why you're going to stay up late researching the company, the reason why you're going to really, really focus on making your resume awesome, it's not because you're thinking about, oh, it's an extra 20 grand a year or whatever. Oh, it's because I want to build that extension and make the house more valuable. No, focusing on those wires is helpful, but you've got to focus on those deep-rooted wires. So when it gets tough to do the research, to prepare for the interviews, all these things, focus on those deep-rooted wires when it really gets tough. That's great. When you've done your own races that you've designed yourself, and let's face it, they're pretty horrific. I remember you saying to me that when you're really in the thick of it, you might have your support crew, but you kind of recede from them into your own head. And there's someone that you call the little man in your head. And I know this is something that comes out at extreme times, but can you explain what that is? I guess the best way to describe it to give people an insight is we talk about all the time there's a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other shoulder, right? So I, I have those two voices as well. However, when things get really tough, it's almost like those two voices come together to build like this super voice. You know, like for all the people who are my age and older might remember a cartoon called Voltron. Whereas like these lions that were running around and when they, they're all individual, but when they come together, it's like these massive, big, like beasts of a machine. It's a bit like that. It's these two voices, the positive, the negative, the good, the bad, you know, all that, however you want to phrase it, they come together. And the little man upstairs, when he gets summoned, and that's not literally me saying, okay, I need you. That's normally when it's really hard and I'm at the point where I'm like, holy crap. I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to get through this. It's like he he comes alive and he's like, all right, now it's time to dig deep. Now it's time to find those reserves that we know we've got. And then that's where that little man starts to then talk me through, guide me through those really hard times that I've faced in life. What about you've suffered a lot of big injuries in your career What about in those times? How do you motivate yourself during those times? Because they're dark moments where you can't actually do anything. Yeah, it's a very timely question because I'm nine weeks post quite a big surgery on my hamstring and I've still got probably three or four months to go before I'm anywhere near being ready to start training again. This has been my sixth surgery. So my experience with injuries and significant injuries is pretty vast. The little man, what he does for me, because we're talking about this little guy, What he does for me is this, every day I start on zero or I start in neutral. Now I might have a good day because I get up and my injury's not hurting too much. I do my rehab and I feel like I'm progressing and I'm in a good frame of mind. Maybe I go up to a seven on the scale. I go to bed and I wake up the next day and because I've got these mental tools and these things that I put around me when when I get injured, I'm back to neutral. And that's not a bad thing because when the days are hard, when I feel like I'm never going to be pain-free again, the old saying is this too shall pass comes into my head and it's okay, focus on what I need to do today. What is the bare minimum? Okay, I've got 45 minutes of rehab to do. Just do that. If I've got work commitments, just do that. Don't do any more. And then what I'm able to do is go to bed that night, even at the end of the day, if I'm at a minus four. I'm able to get up the next day and start in neutral again. And that's what the little man has helped me in these dark times. He's like, 
don't try and do anything else except the bare minimum. And even he might say, write them out so you know, you read them. Don't do anything else. Don't answer calls, don't reply to text messages, get to bed that night, and the next day you'll be back at neutral and start again. I always love talking to Luke. We actually put the word out on Instagram that we wanted to hear from people who listen to motivational soundtracks. And we got some great responses. One of those people was Stephen Boddy, who's the director of Mega Gym Fitness Cartel. And he's got a really interesting training background. Yeah, I did 10 years in the military and a lot of time of that was in the Special Forces. So the top hand sort of physical performance things. And at the same time, whilst going through Special Forces training and in service, I was competing in natural bodybuilding. I did all up about 25 shows. And once I got out, I stopped bodybuilding. I transitioned across to tennis. I've actually just got into boxing. I had my first amateur boxing fight three weeks ago. So what's special forces training like? I mean, in terms of <laughs> motivating you, is it more stick than carrot? It's yeah, it's definitely not motivation. That's for sure. It's more, I won't say the word bastardization, but it's, it's a voluntary training course. Uh, you don't need to be there. And they make that very clear. And you've got to want it. Like, I mean, you've got to want to be there and want, or want to be this sort of, you know, alpha fighter character. And the training is hard. It's the hardest in the world alongside like, you know, the Navy SEALs in America and SAS across the world, sleep deprivation, mental challenges, and the physical stuff they put you through is, yeah, it's insane. I lost 11 kilos in 10 days on my first selection test, mental. And are they screaming in your face the whole time? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Like when they when they put you to a test, um, like if it's a physical absolute torture test that goes for maybe two hours or four hours, depending what it is, they'll be in your face the whole time. Being physically ready is one thing and pushing your body, but it's your mind. Like as long as your mind can go, your body will follow. And that's what they try and target because they know that. So they'll be in your face being like, you know, you don't want this. Come on, mate, just give it up. Go and have a hot shower. Go and have something to eat. When you're really like you haven't eaten for a long time, you haven't slept for two days. So that's what they test. Mentally, they'll be in your face barking and uh, seeing if you want it. When I have a trainer, uh, I do respond better to encouragement, I have to say. But I guess there's two schools of thought, aren't there? Are you a trainer yourself? I, I have been a trainer for, oh, God knows, like 11 years now, nearly. A lot of the PT stuff I did, I would prefer to take athletes and people that were catered towards sports-specific stuff. So it could be a tennis player, it could be a rugby player, like a competitive athlete that needed that mental advantage that I could try and instill from them from the training I received through the special forces because a lot of them aren't exposed to that mental mindset of their body will go this as long as they want but it's their mind that needs to carry them so i would try and instill some of that coaching into them it's more so just that option of no failure or you know find a way to sort out the problems i mean a lot of personal training as a lot of pts know i'm not going to say it's therapy but you're definitely listening to your clients and they're venting their problems every day as they're training and i would just try and tune in to the issue that they were having whatever it might be and ask them questions that I had been asked for example to sort the solution on their own rather than me like not being a qualified anything just a coach I'd ask them those hard questions I've been like well if you make the decision to do x or compete in this event or whatever what have you got to lose like what is the worst that could possibly happen if you decide to do this competition at the end of your season b or you know whatever it is and you don't look that good. 
like what you pull out a week before and you're in the best shape you've ever been in anyway. Like I try and just give people this mindset or this realization that the worst they can do is fail and it's not that bad. And you have some go-tos for motivational listening. I checked out Eric Thomas. He's also a minister and Les Brown. It's all about success and greatness and your hunger for it. Yeah, like I've listened to everyone. I've done Tony Robbins courses. I listened to Gary Vee. I've, I've listened to so many people. And me personally, with my upbringing, like I come from nothing. And I just found that, I guess, compatible relationship with Eric Thomas and Les Brown because they have a similar story, different country, et cetera. But Les Brown's story, the way he talks, it comes from nothing and he was hungry and he just chased it. And he would just get told, no, 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 no. And he kept going. And then eventually he got his breakthrough. And um, same with Eric Thomas. He's just like really blunt, you know, get the F up. No one's going to change your life unless you pull your finger out and make it a conscious, deliberate decision to do that and apply yourself. And that's where I think I aligned with like the training from the military and then coming from nothing. I just was like, you know what? No one's here to hand me out a, a special pass especially as an athlete, as a business owner, even as a father, like it's, you're going to make that decision and go. So listening to those guys, like before an event, even during training, sometimes I get the tingles. I'll be like, come on, <laughs> let's go. Did you notice a period in time where these became really popular? Yeah. Funnily enough, the first videos that were ever really around on YouTube was like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, you know, videos of him and stuff like that. I didn't even know he was a bodybuilder at the time. I thought he was just the Terminator. They started to pop up. And then the more I started to look, there was guys that were just putting together clips of like Jay Cutler and Ronnie Coleman and like all these old school bodybuilders. And um, that's when I really started to notice motivational videos. And then they started to really get traction and all these new channels were popping up. And it was, I don't even know if they were people that were actually even athletes themselves or speakers but people were just making videos on youtube and it went massive for years like it just went on a hot streak and there were some really really good ones from just random people taking segments of different people's videos putting them together with their own like music overlay that's how i found les brown and eric thomas a piece of a video would just hit me and i'd be like oh who's that i'd go and find out who it was and then i'd watch their really long interviews and yeah loved it these motivational speeches that Stephen's talking about started around 2014, I'd say. And then they were almost exclusively using the words of bodybuilders like Arnie and Ronnie Coleman. And they were for bodybuilders, as Stephen says. Ten years on, though, they're all over Spotify playlists and YouTube, meaning you could listen during your workout at the gym, or you could just watch stock footage of people screaming in the rain on your laptop back at home. And the demographics changed, too. Now these kind of monologues are the soundtrack to every Gymfluencer's reel and they're increasingly used in marketing material. Check out Barley Time Chamber on Instagram. Barley Time Chamber. It's a men-only luxury retreat and it's all about isolating from negative external factors, i.e. women. Anything that might distract bros from their push-ups. And they use these monologues on every single post. There are a lot of YouTube tutorials these days teaching you how to make your own videos for fast and easy monetization. But there are also really big players like Motiversity. That was founded in 2017 and it's got more than 10 million subscribers and it represents motivational speakers, kind of like an agency. But it also produces these videos. 
It's already released compilations on YouTube for 2024, and they have titles like Dominate 2024 and 2024 Go Hard Mindset. As a wise man on Reddit says, some of the things they say are encouraging terrible sleeping habits, terrible self-care, sacrificing your health. And if somebody actually followed everything those guys said, they'd probably be in hard burnout and it'd end up backfiring because they literally won't be able to function. There's also a kind of selfishness that's celebrated in these speeches. And so you'll see interviews from the likes of Andrew Tate and Russell Brand being used. Because we're living in this era that really celebrates the dark triad types. And that's actually crossed over into self-improvement. And that's what I talked to Eilish Kid about. So Eilish owns Art Gym in Hobart, Tasmania. And she's a competing kettlebell athlete. Eilish isn't as enthusiastic about the motivation genre as she used to be. Having gone in her own words way too far down the rabbit hole. But she really got into the work of Nayi Shoba. He's a former NFL running back turned mindset coach. And she describes how for a while there she got so sucked into the talks on his podcast that are set to music that she really found herself changing and not necessarily for the better. Yeah, it was a journey that I went quite far into. So I probably went a little bit over the top with that. As a kettlebell sport athlete, I train a lot by myself. My training is a space for me where I can get out of my head and into my body. I'd say it's almost a bit like meditating or drawing or something like that. So it's always been a really important space for me. And I found that when I got onto the competition platform, I would completely freak out and underperform mildly. And my coach, who's in Scotland, suggested that I listen to some of Nay's motivational blocks where he kind of like raps and then gives, I guess, mantras and words of wisdom. And he has two podcasts and then he had another massive block of work, which is called Killer Instinct, which was a thing that you signed up to and then you were mentored in a quite salon way in terms of developing your own mental fortitude, ability to succeed in life, etc. I was reading his marketing material and it's all quite fearsome. I only work with highly committed competitors who are committed to being the most dominant and successful in their sport or business. I think it's like maybe it appeals to people who are introverts anyway. It's not like a collective, like, hey, everyone, come and join my group and we're all going to get strong together. It's like you're going to be the same introverted to you, but are you going to be fierce and determined and powerful and change things? I had other things going on in my life at the time that I guess were like emotionally unsettling. So it created an even stronger space for me where I was like, as I said, completely isolated because now I had something going through my head that other people couldn't hear. And it was all that, you know, you're not the average person, you're this person and you're stronger and fiercer and more powerful. And it's got that rap beast. So it's, it's got like a real vibe. And I think at the time I was having pre-workout and stuff as well. So it's fun. It's like you really amped up. So then other people might say, hey, Eilish, you're like, I can't hear you. <laughs> so it probably in retrospect isolated me a little bit more than if I'd just done my normal training. Is that good or bad? I don't know. It's hard. Like I think it was fun at the time. Like I thought it was fun. Um, but I think I went too far into it 
in terms of doing like the whole course, he demanded a lot of everyone. So I think if you've done any sort of business mentoring course, you always get the same kind of made a better schedule for yourself. Like how many things can you do in an hour? Like what's this 15 minutes for that? All that sort of thing. So it was kind of all set up so that if you worked out your perfect day, I'd be getting up at 3.30am and drawing for an hour and then, you know, having my drink and then reading a book and then doing the use and then doing that. So I feel like you're kind of set up to fail in a way that there was not really a possibility of being that perfect person. And then I think there were aspects of it. I don't think all of it was like that, but there were definitely aspects of it that ventured into psychology and psychiatry, which I don't think it should have been in. So things like explore your dark wounds and, you know, do some work on this as homework and come back and share it with the group. Some of that's fairly damaging. I, I was looking at his podcast episodes and they had sections that refer to kings. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where you kind of go into it more and more and more and more and more. And then when you get to the end of it, it's not really for people like you because you're not a guy or you're not a big sports character. And there was a little bit of bias with wives and that sort of, you know. Yeah, your wife should be supporting you in your endeavours. Yeah. yeah, that sort of thing. When you find stuff like that at the end of it, then it kind of turns you off the whole thing in one go. Where can we find the rap music, the stuff that you listen to on the most sort of basic level? On Spotify, he has two separate podcasts. He's got a sports motivation podcast and then I Am Not You, which gives you another indication of his philosophy sure does it seems like it's aimed at deeply wounded people in a sense you know goggins calls his book can't hurt me it's a bit like that in a way it's very much i am a rock i am an island isn't it yeah well i think that's what i'm getting at and i think that's why it appealed to me initially because it's all that lone wolf kind of thing it gives you the license to be by yourself but then to be different from everybody else like it's okay that you're on your own because, you know, you were never intended to be with the rest of the people. You're going to rise above and win things and do all the rest of that. I think that's how, how it all works. Hey, Frank. Yes, darling. There are lots of different takes there on motivational content. And I'd love to know what you think. Oh, I thought it was great. Uh, I thought Luke Tybersky had some great stuff. Like, I loved his starting at zero because I had a, a sports accident where I broke 13 bones. Sports uh, accident. Okay, I was longboarding at 60 <laughs> kilometres an hour and came off. Recklessly down a residential street. Well, a hill, a large hill. And um, broke everything down the side of my body. Mm. But I had to start every day at zero and, and make just incremental you know, changes each day and go forward. Um, and I had a surf trip booked six weeks in from there and I was determined to make it. And I was going with my two doctor friends and they said, you'll never make it, which was great. And you were like, don't tell me what I can't do. Everyone tries to put me down. Yeah, motherfuckers. Well, a lot of these motivational content makers, they really go for the fierceness. I'm not sure if I would respond well to that kind of fierceness. I think it just encourages your, your inner critic. And it reminds me of a lot of influencers in their social media captions. They employ that same kind of fierceness. It's like they're trying to start a fight in an empty room. Anyone who ever doubted me, blah, 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 blah. Who doubted them? Yeah. 
who would have thought that blah, 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 blah. And it's like, did anyone ever say that? <laughs> Where's the script coming from? Because in the comments, it's just people doing like the fire emoji. Yeah, right. So I don't know, the whole kind of fierceness, I think it's overblown. Mm-hmm. I, I respond better to encouragement. Yeah, right. Well, as it happens, um, I was listening to Nihi Shobo. Nihi Shobo. <laughs> How do you pronounce it? The way he does. <laughs> Which is what? <laughs> Nihi Shobo. <laughs> Nihi Shobo. And um, he's raps. And I was listening to them and I was thinking, I'm not that impressed. I can do better than really? this. Really? So I've written and recorded a personal one for you. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you're on the cross trainer and in the gym in the morning, you can play this in your ears. Oh my God. My cardio workout. Yeah. So we listen. Yeah. Does that mean I've got to stop listening to Thong Song by Cisco? Oh no, you can do both. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, let's listen. Here we go, baby. <laughs> Life is a treadmill, days are a grind Every morning gonna leave it all behind Cross trainer, no brainer, calling your name Running on empty, mind on the game Don't need no pre-workout to hit 5k Then onto the stairmill, get the pay You gotta bump up the levels to you're at least on 10 Maybe toggle to 15 every now and again Addicted to the iron but also love the cardio That's okay baby, no one needs to know Amazing. You've been listening to Spirit Levels, a weekly show with Jenny Valentich and Frank McGree. Subscribe to hear our show every Tuesday, and we'd love to see you on Instagram. We're Spirit Levels there. And TikTok, where we're Spirit Levels Podcast. See you next week.